Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Mac. Joining me today in place of my co-host, Corey Walsh, is Evan Damrell of Write Down Euclid. Evan, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I can't tell, Mac. Are you an Iron Man fan? <laughs> yeah, lifelong, man. Favorite superhero, um, as you can see back here, issue 100. Uh, got a graded uh, copy of that. One of my uh, prized possessions. Very big Iron Man fan. <laughs> and happy to start off the episode like that. Thanks for asking. No problem. <laughs> I just noticed the uh, collection you had, and I had to ask. So, Big time, big time, man. Dude, you were at Cavs Media Day, something that uh, I'm sure all Cavs fans dream of. Um, you were, you know, they are fielding questions and whatnot. So I just wanted to ask, how many of these media days have you actually gone to now? So this, this was my favorite. Fifth one overall, third year in a row with right down Euclid. Um, one of those was completely virtual because of the pandemic. So caused a little bit of uh, just some differences to it. Uh, I was talking to actually Spencer Davies about it. I'm um, just like, yeah, it was kind of nice. You just rolled out of bed, put on a shirt, and you were on your computer all day. You <laughs> step away just because, again, everything was virtual. So like there was a little bit of timing and spacing and like disinfecting and stuff. So, but yeah, this is my fifth one, and they're, they're always fun. I was, um, Talking to a colleague on the phone about it uh, after the Cavs had media availability after the first day, their first practice at training camp. And I said, um, yeah, it's it's nice just to have new content to kind of sink your teeth into. I know it's preseason. I know it's training camp. Everyone's going to say everything positive, but there's new faces, fresh intrigue and everything in between. It's just it's fun. It seems like a good time. Uh, it seemed like everybody was up there. Uh, if you were watching the chase down at all, those of you who are listeners out there, um, you got to kind of see people interacting in the background, which is very cool. Uh, did you get to meet any of the new faces, some of the new additions in person? Uh, somewhat in person. I Max Struess was at the podium, so I was not like face-to-face, but we did talk. He's He and I had an interesting conversation just about Kevin Love kind of uh, vouching for him or vouching for Cleveland, rather, about him signing there and kind of encouraging him to do so. But did meet George Niang today uh, after the first day of media availability was was underway. And he, he's quite the character. Um, he did tell us, he's like, listen, I am a, a tough dude on the court, but I promise I'm nice. And then you learn he has a very strong self-deprecating sense of humor because the uh, the minivan joke was the kind of the topic of discussion. <laughs> minivan, nick, minivan nickname, rather, was the topic of discussion. Uh during his availability and he's just like yeah i kind of brought that one on myself because i gave it to myself so that's an interesting anecdote i always wondered where that came from but yeah you can definitely tell that uh niang has a lot of personality and i think mm-hmm. that's going to really help bring some of that out in some of the more quieter cavaliers out there and evan mobley and jared allen um i'd love to see his interactions with the media <laughs> as yeah. this season wears on uh, that said, one of the players, man, that I think we all really wanted to hear from uh, was Donovan Mitchell. And we all knew that heading into media day festivities that he was not going to escape it without fielding at least one to two questions uh, about his long term future in Cleveland. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, overall, just from a personal standpoint, I got the sense that he was focused on the immediate future. And honestly, I don't really have an issue with that. Um, but based off of what we heard during his session and things you may or may not have heard before and after, uh, what is your read on the situation? Are you feeling any more confident about him resigning here? 
Uh, I'm still, I mean, I will see what happens. I think Kobe Altman saying that like, it's been a mutual partnership between the two of them, uh, or the three of them rather like Altman Mitchell and the organization itself has been good. Um, but I agree with you. I think Mitchell just kind of outright saying like, Hey, I'm not even going to entertain signing a possible extension until this upcoming summer, the earliest, um, is a good way to go about things. It isn't financially driven and it tracks with what Altman has told the media ever since the last season ended after they were bounced by the Knicks in the first round where Altman was asked, does he feel any pressure or anxiety about re-signing Mitchell? And he's like, well, he does have time on his contract. And I think that's a statement that everyone is, you know, keeps reiterating, but like also the fact that Mitchell has done a lot to show that like he wants to be in Cleveland. I think him being an active participant in free agency this summer certainly is an indicator of that too. And him being around the team so much, he did say today that uh, it's the first time he had been to summer league, not as a participant, but just to like work out and do stuff with teammates, like while with the Cavs. So it's kind of interesting just considering how much he did while his, uh, while he was in Utah. But more than that, um, I just think it's smart to get it out of the way. And also just like, as Mitchell said, and Altman said, like it's, it's on the Cavs now to kind of show him like, Hey, this is worthwhile to spend the, maybe the remainder of your prime, maybe the remainder of your career possibly in Cleveland versus maybe going to like the New York's and the Miami's or whatever team somehow has cap space available to get Donovan Mitchell for the price they want. And, it's just going to be an ongoing conversation. It could be fluid. And I always say like, Hey, nothing's really like super static. It could be dynamic. I know Mitchell did put out that statement, but like, let's say things are going really well for the Cavs and Mitchell's like, you know what? Yeah. I, I really like it here. I like the city. I like the organization, I like the fans. I like this situation, both for myself and for the future. Um, let, let's sign some form of an extension to kind of keep this train rolling. And we could see what happens. Like the, the conversation change a lot, but wasn't surprised with him saying that. And honestly, it's probably good to get it out of the way, but it'll get drowned out eventually. And it'll just be that noise surrounding his future with this team. Uh, just going forward. I really hope so. Cause it's all we're seeing. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's lit social media ablaze in regards to the Cavaliers. That's literally all people talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, are you able to, I know you put out some content rather recently about the contractual, uh, the, the extension that he'd possibly be eligible for in different types of scenarios. Are you able to remind people the types of numbers that he could potentially sign for moving forward? If he stayed in Utah, he could have got a Supermax deal worth $338 million over five years, and that's assuming he landed all NBA honors last year with the Jazz and this upcoming season. Um, when the, Since the new CBA has kicked in, um, Next summer, the Cavs could offer him an extension worth $259.5 million over five years, starting with the 2026-27 season. And they could obviously change that as well, too. Like I'm sure they can – if he wanted to, he could void the contract here and like get his money right away. But uh, it would be like a – it would be a pretty substantial pay increase. It would be about a 40% increase – uh what in what he's currently making and that that's just the reality of the situation and also like the color let's just put it this way like the contract extension jared allen signed seems like a lot of the time maybe no one darius garland's signed seems like a lot of the time uh those will pale into comparison of like what donovan mitchell will get or maybe like what shoot like what <laughs> the next super match super max eligible player will get just because that's just the reality of the beast and salary cap stuff so mitchell will command I believe roughly 33% of the Cavs salary cap, no matter what. And like, that's just kind of a hard path to navigate. Cause you have Garland's taking up quite a bit of the cap space. You have 
Allen's chunk in there too. And then like Mobley's rookie max extension will be kicking in sooner rather than later. And then he to fit in all the rest of the pieces the Cavs already have. But it's a lot of logistics. It's a lot of just like crunching the numbers and figuring it out. They made, they, Hey, the Cleveland made a way to <laughs> sign Max Chiefs work by flipping Jetty Osmond and Lamar Stevens to San Antonio and part of that three team trade. So mm-hmm. if the, the Cavs are an aggressive organization when they need to be and when they should be. And so like that, that's a good way to look at it. And we'll, again, we'll see how the conversations go, but like he can make a lot of money. And also there's also a situation where he doesn't take like the full five year contract extension. You need to do like a couple years and give himself like a player option to maybe retest the waters of the market just in case like one, his value can go up as things go move along or two. Um, if just like the situation doesn't feel like it's a permanent fit for him, but he can still write out the remainder of his prime, this incredibly young team. From an on-court standpoint, just purely based upon the additions that we've made uh, this offseason, um, do you think, if you had to place a grade on it, do you think that that was enough to kind of uh, satisfy the needs here? Do you think that was enough to kind of persuade Mitchell and to believe in that things will progress this season? Uh, so it's interesting you mentioned that before maybe what Milwaukee and Boston pulled off in the last few days, I'd say Cleveland had one of the best off seasons overall, just from a pure addressing needs and just like what are glaring holes within this team uh, just on, on the court. Um, Yeah. They addressed a lot of them. Donovan Mitchell actually said as much today when uh, he was asked like, how active were you in like recruiting? Like he was involved in recruiting Max Struess. He is obviously involved with like bringing George Niang into the fold as well too. But like the, the Cavs, whether it was Kobe Alden who said it or JB or Darius or Donovan or Jarrett, like during those workouts they had this summer during the film breakdowns and just like constant communication they had, they addressed the flaws that this team currently has. And it was a lack of shooting and they went out and paid a premium commodity because it's a premium service shooting and they paid a lot for Max Struess, the best shooter on the market, and then continue the trend with George Niang and Ty Jerome. And to answer your question, I think it's a strong indicator on the Cavs side of things and tell Mitchell, like, hey, we are committed to like building a winner around you. Like, we're not going to just completely rest on the laurels of a very successful regular season and maybe not just let everything be crystallized in a five game flame out against the Knicks, um, which, you know, is a valid way to look at it. But also again, they're aggressive when they need to be, they're aggressive when they have something that they want to get or pursue in order to maximize their opportunities. And we'll, we'll see how it works on the floor. They, they, it's only one day in a training camp. It's day two, technically of media availability, when talking about the offense, the JV Bickerstaff isn't one to really reveal his hand much, but he did say like they're trying to do a lot more secondary and third actions and reads and options just to kind of keep things more a little bit more dynamic. And so like you're not stashing a guy like Max Struess in the corner waiting for him to get an opportunity. You have Max Struess working off off ball screens and flares to kind of get open as like that third or fourth option on offense and the third option on the perimeter just to kind of make things a little bit more breathable and easy for everyone. And It'll be interesting just because it's not going to be an instant transition. I think that's just kind of foolhardy to think that because you're adding some new faces and to your offensive and also defensive flow. But it's a it's a step in the right direction because at least in my eyes is an indicator that like the Cavs had a really good season, clearly flawed as a team in terms of shooting, and they went out and addressed that those flaws and did it in a pretty cost effective way. Like that Karis Levert extension is still like really surprising to me that it's only a two year deal. Like the, the Cavs 
did maintain a level of flexibility going into the future to keep kind of building a winner uh, piece by piece. Yeah, man. When I when I really think about the potential of these additions, when you're talking about a Struis, when you're talking about a Niang, I really think spacing. And I think that was the biggest thing that we needed to address. When you're talking about the Levert uh, extension, for me, I just love how versatile Levert show, has showcased that he can be uh, for this specific roster. And I'm glad they were able to retain him on such a manageable, movable deal that kind of worked for both sides. Uh, you know, so I, yeah. I think that was a win-win for everybody. Um, I know that we kind of touched on Struess a little bit, and we got to hear a lot from him yesterday and some of the answers that he provided. I uh, I absolutely lo- loved. What was your biggest takeaway from him yesterday? Because I know you guys had an interaction specifically in reference to Kevin Love. Yeah, so it's – so the Kevin Love interaction, um, there he was asked outright, like, hey, why did you pick Cleveland? Because he was one of the bigger names in the unrestricted free agent market, and he was on a team that just made the NBA Finals in the Miami Heat. Um, and he was pretty transparent, saying that, like, hey, Miami didn't seem like a realistic option, and once the Cavs said they were interested, and maybe showing that they were really interested by moving around pieces on their roster already to clear up more cap space to sign him, like, that, that made the, the – things kind of set in motion. I obviously having Donovan Mitchell in his ear as well helped a lot too. And then the Kevin love interaction, just to like follow up because there is a bit of a common thread just because I first asked him like, Hey, do you have any connections with any of the guys on the team? He's like, not really. He's like, uh, I learned after the fact he and George Niang have the same agent and they're pretty close because of that. But other than that, he's like, I've played with these guys. I know these guys, but like, I don't have like a personal relationship with like anyone on the coaching staff or within the front office or on the roster. Um, so like, and then it just kind of clicked for me. I'm like, well, Kevin Love spent a lot of his career here. Um, did he have anything to like just say about it? And it was it was a cool interaction, um, just because like he opened up with me or he is in uh, Max Drews opened up with me a lot on this, just saying like, yeah, Kevin Love's the first person he called to like ask him about Cleveland and despite maybe some of the yuckiness of how things ended and Kevin loves time in Cleveland, because some people were against the buyout. I was for it because he just wanted to do right by a franchise guy. But I think the Cavs made the right call. Um, Ryan Morton pointed this out. Like you could drag this out like the J.R. Smith situation and send Kevin love home and just really burn a ton of bridges. Or you do right by a guy who still thinks he can play and you let him go play. And he made the finals of the heat, but Kevin Love had nothing but good to say about the Cavs. And I think that's just, you know, a, a good approach um, by the team. And I think I wonder if it's a little bit of hyperbole, but Max Drew saying like, hey, if you're stoked about me, and I'm paraphrasing, stoked about me being <laughs> here, like you should be thanking Kevin Love a little bit too. And I'm like, that's, that's interesting. Like, that's just kind of cool, I guess, just to see like a little bit of like a common thread somehow, some way uh, between a former Cavs player who ended up with the heat and so happened to be teammates with Max Drews. In situations like these, how much do you think other players actually influence a uh, free agent's decision on choosing a certain landing spot? Do you think that happens more often than not? Or do you think this is just like a specific circumstance because one played for the Cavs the prior season? I think it's twofold. Um, If you're an unrestricted free agent, you clearly have the luxury of signing wherever you want. And I love Cleveland to death. But <laughs> if I was in my early to mid twenties and I was about to make generational wealth and I could live in beautiful Miami, Florida for 80, for the majority of the year. And like during the winter months, I'm in Florida versus Cleveland. 
I understand where that thought process goes, but so Cleveland's not a, they're a non-glamour market. They're not like a destination that a lot of players are revving themselves up for. And I think the impact of having players that players want to play with, like in Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and from down and Jimmy Bickerstaff's a coach that a lot of players respect and connect with on so many different levels. And I think like the organization is building like a pedigree and culture that they maybe didn't really possess if LeBron James wasn't on the roster. So like it took time and I think that speaks volumes, but yeah, I, I understand like the thought process of like, Hey, let me get a feel for the area. Let me ask somebody who lived there for a couple of years. Like it's something I do. Like if I, was offered a job in like Los Angeles tomorrow or something like that, or like a, a city that's like massive, like comparatively different to Cleveland. Like if I knew somebody who lived there for many years and had like an understanding of what life was like there, maybe like they're affiliated or know the organization. Like, yeah, I, I would call somebody up on it. I don't think it has a ton of pull just because like you're an unrestricted free agent. And if a team offers you more money, I think you can swallow the pill if you, even if you don't really want to be there. But yeah, I, I think it was just a lot of different things, and I do think it's just interesting. It's maybe a little corny, just to, when you say it out loud, like Kevin Love was the reason for <laughs> Max Drew signing Cleveland, but it's a nice little footnote to end Kevin Love's tenure at the team because there was a lot of fans who were upset that he was doing well in the final, or at least made the finals, and people were rooting for him, and I just didn't fully understand it, but you know, I'm not going to tell people how to fan. Yeah, it's a tough way to end things here. While you could clearly see that, uh, you know, in hindsight, that there was a clear need, at least in my estimation, where Kevin Love could have been somewhat impactful against the Knicks. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was happy to see him do well uh, with Miami. That said, we got to see um, a former Cavalier, I guess really, uh, you know, returning Cavalier at uh, Cavs Media Day, Tristan Thompson, who spent the first nine seasons of his career dying in the wine and gold, you know, while he was here, we, we don't really even need to really list his accolades. Um, NBA championship, he finished in the top 20 in offensive rebounds in seven different uh, seven different seasons, was an Ironman on the court, uh, just played his role very, very well. What was it like to see Thompson at one of these events again? Well, it was a little weird to see him in 12 and not 13. So, like, <laughs> yeah, that... a double take there and that, like, he did technically wear the – jerseys the Cavs wore uh post adidas era like that last lebron year and everything but it was a little just like different seeing him in like the same uniform as like these kind of like just say babies like dean wade and darius carlin were rookies and they're the only two rookies left from when tristan thompson was last with the Cavs. but i think it's fun to have him back um just from a personality standpoint because he is outspoken i think he is a lot more polished after working the desk at espn a bit and he had a lot of one-liners and quotes that were just like really just kind of you know kept the kept the spirits kept spirits light and kept people in check. And I don't want to say he's gonna get as many minutes just because there's like uh, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, even Damian Jones technically mm -hmm. like in terms of youth and just maybe tread on the tires ahead of him in the rotation. But he could fill like that Channing Fry, Richard Jefferson type role where like he has the pedigree and experience that people respect because he has been in the finals four times in a row and he has a championship to his name and 
he does know how to press the right buttons. Like he said, like, listen, I'm going to push Evan Mobley like Kendrick Perkins called me <laughs> my first few times in the playoffs just to be tougher with people. And he's like, I can see him being Anthony Davis, which to me is, hey, you could be our best player. And like, if you're able to unlock Evan Mobley in that way by making him a little uncomfortable and finding comfort in that, great. But the RJ and Channing comparison for me is just more so they were kind of the guys that were okay with being the butt of the joke or kind of being the funny ones and maybe keeping people together. And I am kind of working on a story about this and exploring the possibilities of it just because like Thompson and Niang are technically new faces, you know, Thompson's, this is his second time with the cabs. Um, how important is it to have guys that are able to be locked and loaded and ready to go and can hold people accountable but also cut through that tension of, or like the rough patches to keep people afloat by keeping things light and not as serious, just so you're not getting too in your head about what's going wrong for you. Yeah. Um, you know, returning as a veteran and it's really his 10th season dying in the wine and gold. I just, I can't wait to see how big of an impact both on and off court he actually has like that leadership aspect to me, that's something that will really pay dividends for the big specifically, um, obviously, you know, you cannot, you can't make somebody go out there and rebound. And we know, uh, Tristan Thompson in his heyday in his prime had one of the best motors around. He was always up there for offensive rebounds. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not Jared Allen, Evan Mobley alike will, uh, will eventually get to that point. Cause you, you could sit here all the live long day and argue whether or not motor is something you can, uh, that's inherently there or something that can be brought out. But I'm just curious to see what his addition will do in terms of uh, of that specific skill set. Uh, that said, man, one of the additions that we made this offseason, although Max Struess is getting all the headlines, is George Nier. Um, You know, we talked about him a little bit already and some of the personality that he brings to the table. But the mere fact that he shot 40-plus percent from three-point range in five straight seasons and the fact that he can man the power forward position, to me – that's that's one of the most underrated moves this offseason that this team has made. Um, how much do you think that will impact JB's rotations heading into the season? Do you think we'll see uh, a lot more Evan Mobley at the five anytime soon? That's an interesting thought process. Um, just like, could it be more Evan Mobley at the five? And I think it does make it easier just because Evan Mobley's been working on his three-point shot and mechanics. He said he was working on it this summer and everything, but like it could it could not convey right away, or maybe it's just not going to be like the primary threat in his offensive repertoire because he's like being asked to do so much more. And Niang, I think I agree. Like it's an underrated signing because the Cavs eat depth, the big like just the bigger position, just kind of like those in that like bigger forward spot. He is a bit of a tweener, but like he will play the four for Cleveland. Like I'd be stunned if he played the three or even like a small ball five, just because like he's very slow footed um, defensively. And like, I asked my buddy Jordan Christmas because he's a Sixers fan. He covers them up close. He pays attention to everything. I'm like, so tell me about Niang. And he's like, he's a great shooter. That'll let that thing fly. And you only want him attacking a close out with two dribbles max, just because you just want him to be like a spot up shooter or a guy who gives you a little bit of movement and motion. Um, and he's like, he'll never close games defensively because he's not very good at that. But like he can be an offensive spark plug for the Cavs. And I think that's kind of how you want to utilize him. And just uh, it is interesting to think that the Cavs could run four shooter lineups like they could run a lineup of like it's not going to be awesome defensively. But Garland, Mitchell, Struess, Niang and Mobley or you sub in Mobley for Allen there as well. And 
there's pick and rolls stuff there. There's movement. There's shooting all across the board. There's plenty of space for either Allen or Mobley or any big that they're at, they have out there just to operate down low. And I think that fluidity and versatility is going to give the Cavs a lot of fun things to work with. And yeah, the Niang signing could be fun. Um, it's just, again, it depends on how the Cavs evolve offensively this year and how like Bickerstaff utilizes him in the rotation. But just from like a pure three point shooting aspect, like Niang is penciled into the rotation heading into opening night in my eyes. Uh, but yeah, there's <laughs> there's absolutely no way that you can't include him in the rotation on opening night, considering the spacing that we need and the fact that we just need depth, um, you know, at the bigger spots out there. Uh, that said, speaking of bigs, um, one of the players that we got to hear from was Jared Allen. And while it was sad to hear that he's uh, kind of be moving away from Pokemon for a little while as he attempts to broaden his horizons. <laughs> um, I think that uh, some of the answers that he gave were um, I'm not going to say questionable I will say I, I appreciated them because he could have just sat there and fed into and I think you were the person that asked him about the social media interactions but I'm glad to hear that he chose to kind of ignore that what was your uh, what was your takeaway from Jared Allen yesterday so, yeah, I was curious about that just because he literally became a meme. Like, the lights were too bright for us is something I see way too much on X or Twitter. Tired or of it. Whatever you see it all the time. And uh, if I was in that position and I knew, like, hey, you're being dragged, whether it's on social media or on talk radio or, like, on talk show circuits because people are wondering what's wrong with the Cavs and, like, they, everyone's, like, banging the trade Jared Allen drum, even though the organization is saying, like, no, no, we're not really – broaching that topic publicly of course it'd be remiss of any team not to like entertain a trade if like you know like i don't know like kevin durant or Giannis at Kupo were available or something like that like yeah if jared allen's the piece in it you entertain it but more than that like it's for a mental health sake like it allows you to recover and kind of maybe distance you from the situation i was surprised to hear that allen like internalized it a little bit more quickly than everyone else but that's kind of how he's wired as a person too i think he can process things, have an understanding of it, maybe reflect upon it a lot, but like not let it weigh him down emotionally because he, he, yes, he is a basketball player, but he knows there's much more to life as well. And like there's, he had a lot on his plate this summer. He got engaged. He was vacationing. He was traveling. He was doing a lot of things. I'm sure um, that just kind of kept him busy and occupied. And like, of course, like he's in constant communication with the coaching staff, teammates, front office, just on what they need to execute and work on next summer. And, you know, I think just, again, like this team very much said like, hey, there's only so much we can control. There's only so much we can do. And just all we have to do is ignore the outside noise. And doing a social media cleanse is probably the best way possible to ignore the outside noise because it's easy when people are talking crap about you online. Like it's easy to get fed into like that circle, I'm sure, or that cycle, I'm sure. And just kind of keep reading it and reading it and reading it and just let it consume you. Or you do what Alan does, which is a much more healthy thing delete and walk away so you don't hear it and just kind of reflect internally and not let negative toxic opinions surrounding you just um maybe weigh on your thoughts and just how you want to improve yourself both on and off the court yeah again i'm i'm very very i was very uh very glad to hear that that was the route that he took because you do sometimes see athletes take uh do not take the high road rather and kind of interact negatively with some of the fans out there some of the 
detractors that are uh, directly uh, going at their heads. So I'm glad that cooler heads prevailed in regards to Jared. Um, from an on-court standpoint, what do you think he has to do in order to kind of um, turn public opinion back, I guess, really to his side? Because I feel like that postseason series really turned a lot of people on Jared, which I just, you know, it was such a small sample size that I, I can't fathom how that changed people's entire opinion opinions of Jared. So what do you think he has to do this season to change that? Well, I think he had the right response on it too. Um, and th- th- he had the best response in general, just on like what the mindset is going forward for both himself and this team. Like, the Cavs will no longer be judged on the regular season success. It matters what we do in the playoffs. Like he was completely transparent. Like I wasn't great. He said in the past, like it was a lot of, it was those rebounds and just like, I really wish I could get those second chance opportunities. And I don't want to say the Cavs were out physical because they did play physically in that five game sample size. I agree with you that it's not fair to crystallize an entire series from a five game series like that. But the Knicks just kind of came harder. They came hungrier. And I think it just maybe the, the, the heat of the moment, the spotlight kind of startled the Cavs a little bit. But like Alan saying, like, we're only going to be judged on our postseason success. Like, that's the right mentality to have. Like, yeah, you want to be as dominant as you can in the regular season just to build that continuity and familiarity with your new teammates and maybe just the new wrinkles the coaching staff wants to employ. But you have that mindset where, like, it's do or die time. Like we have to go out there and prove like we can be one of the best teams in the Eastern conference. Like sure. Boston and Milwaukee are the cream of the crop. They made power moves. Um, They certainly made power moves, but uh, Cleveland is in that like kind of gray space area where like they could be nipping up the heels of those teams or they could progress and just be like a, a tough first or second round. Or maybe if they sneak into a conference finals outing and they don't want to settle for that, it seems so. We'll see what Allen does to answer your question on what he can do. I just think it'll balance out as the season goes on. Like people will see like different ways he can be engaged. Like he mentioned, he wants to be more involved in like simple passing, like whether it's just like kicking back out the shooters, being part of DHOs, or, out the short roll and whatnot, short roll, yeah, and stuff like that. And also like we, I mentioned like four shooting lineups. Like Allen could really do well in that because he does have basic enough vision and understanding to kick out to a shooter when maybe he's being double teamed in the low post or he's maybe not getting the look he wants in the post. Cause it seems the Cavs aren't going to be running strictly pick and roll, which is what Allen thrives in, but they'll run some of it, of course, obviously because it's their bread and butter, but adding movement and letting him be like an off ball screener, just to kind of get these open looks for the shooters is like going to be pretty fun to see. And I think he could just be impactful in the little ways that just aren't, tangibly tracked on a box score on a night to night basis. So people could say like, Oh, Alan only had like 12 and 10 or something, <laughs> but screen assists aren't a thing. I roll my eyes because jazz fans made it like unpleasant to talk about screen assists, but like he could be a guy who racks up a lot of those because he's setting really quality screens for the rest of the shooting that the Cavs added to their roster. So like, there's a lot of nuanced ways he could impact things. And I winning fixes everything. Like once the Cavs kind of start rolling again, or once they kind of get rolling into the regular season and they pick up more wins than they do losses, it's easier to kind of look at what happened last year, the rearview mirror and look ahead of what's coming for this team. I think that's fair enough. And as you said, winning is often the best deodorant yeah. <laughs> uh, can mask a lot of different things. Uh, that's it. Let's talk about his front court mate and Evan Mobley a bit. Uh, it was, I think he was quoted as saying that he put on about seven pounds of muscle. Do you believe that? Did, like in person, did he look bigger than he did last year, the last time you saw him? 
Uh, yeah, he certainly looked bigger. It is funny just because he hired a personal chef. He hired, he builds out like a personal gym in his house and somewhere in Northeastern Ohio. I don't know where he lives, nor do I want to dox him remotely publicly. <laughs> he said he, he did say he put on seven pounds of muscle and, um, they said like, well, what was your strategy? He's like lifting weights, working out, mostly eating. Like it was funny because. They said, like, well, what did you add to your diet? He's like, honestly, I wasn't eating enough. Like, I wasn't eating, like, a ton of protein. Like, I think it's so interesting to me that he said, he's like, I, I finally, like, been introduced to steak for the first time in my life. So I'm like, dude, what have you been eating up to this point? Like, just, like, like white meats and, like, lean fish only and stuff. Like, good on you for being a health, like, very healthy and conscientious on what you're consuming. But, yeah, he, he did look bigger. Um, he looked a little bit stronger. I, I don't think, like, Evan Mobley's ever going to be – the kind of guy who goes from like what Giannis was his rookie year to what Giannis is now. Like, I just don't think that's physically possible, but if you look at him from his rookie year to his sophomore season to now, like you can tell like his, he's filling out his frame. He looks a lot less like a baby. He looks much more like a, like a grown man up there on that, at the podium at the diocese. And so we'll, we'll see what he does on the court, according to JV Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman and some of his teammates who provided insight, it's going to be a lot more of things. Even Mobley himself said he wants to be more involved within the offense and defense. And a lot of it is going to be like that intangible stuff that you can't track with counting stats. But I am fascinated to see what year three Evan Mobley looks like because he could be kind of the guy who pushes them to a newer limit that we didn't know they had. Yeah, I think when people talk about the the Cavs championship contention window, it off it often starts with Evan Mobley. Those conversations often are let off with Evan Mobley having to take that uh, fabled leap, and I think that's perfectly possible. I think hell, even last season, if you didn't add Donovan Mitchell, I think he probably would have saw a season in which Evan Mobley gets close to twenty points per game, or is or is at that. I think it was perfectly possible for that to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of factors, obviously, that go into that. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I asked JB about that and made way into last season, just like the balancing act that is winning now because they became a winning team very suddenly and uh, focusing on prioritizing player development because they have such a young team to begin with. And it's it's a hard balancing act. And I just said, like, when you look at a guy like Evan Mobley, he's like, let me use Evan Mobley as an example. He's a rookie who's hardwired to help on defense and level up defensively, whereas, like, on a bad team, he would have the freedom to put up 20, 30 shots a night and put up empty stats. He would rather not do that, and he doesn't care about, like, what... Like, he doesn't care about being a 20 and 10 guy because he'd rather have... 50 plus wins under his belt and like actual like success in the postseason. Whereas like no disrespect to like Jalen green or Cade Cunningham who haven't reached the winning that uh, Mobley has quite yet in their respective careers. But like those guys put up pretty big numbers, but like the, the Pistons aren't winning a ton yet. Um, the Rockets probably will change their fortunes this year, but they're not winning a ton yet. Like Mobley is just like a unique rookie in that aspect. And it's kind of fun to see, what he can be. And I agree. Like if you don't add Donovan Mitchell to the fold, like, yeah, his counting stats go up, but like adding Donovan Mitchell one alleviates the pressure, maybe for him to step into a role he may not be fully comfortable with yet. And two, allow him to grow at his own pace so that when the time comes for him to step into that role, he doesn't feel so too overwhelmed by the moment either. I think that's fair. Um, On a lighter note with uh, the interaction that we saw with Darius Garland and Chris Fedor the other day, it looks like it was all jokes, obviously. But uh, did that interaction kind of dissuade a lot of people from asking about uh, how the Cavs evaluated themselves in regards to standing within the East right now? 
so it's such a nuanced question just because I think everyone's going to look at like, oh, Milwaukee got Damian Lillard, one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference. Um, the Celtics got Drew Holiday and they still have the two Jays and a ton, not a lot of depth, but they definitely have a lot of star power on that team. And like, yeah, that interaction between Fedor and Garland, if you look at it out of context, it looks like a tense interaction, but he's just joking. Like, that's just kind of how Darius is wired. Like there's moments where like he'll lock in and be super serious, but usually like he's joking <laughs> around and trying to make everybody have fun with him. Like I think like, cause like Booby Gibson, I talked to him on a feature. He's like, yeah, Darius reminds me a lot like of me mentally where he's like, you always walk around with a smile on your face, but I'm going to beat your ass up and down the floor and feel <laughs> bad about it, but I'm still going to be smiling. So and, like, again, like, Darius, like, I think he's just excited to be back. Like, I was standing there talking to a colleague, and he did the fake shoulder tap to me, and I fully looked to my left, and he looked at his right and was laughing at me. So, I mean, he's a big kid at heart. I mean, he literally is still, like, just out of his teenage years. He's still learning and growing. But he was asked, like, how – or maybe it was Mitchell who was asked, like, how important the continuity the Cavs currently have is just compared to, like, Milwaukee, who's adding a superstar point guard in Dame or – Boston, who's adding an all-star level guard and Drew Holiday, like they and like the the Celtics have virtually no depth because they've traded so many pieces this off season. So, I it's a fair point just because like the Cavs do have the luxury of like last year was their power move where they had to learn and grow. They kind of have a leg up on those guys in that aspect because, yeah, we talked about Max Struess a lot. We touched on George Niang, but like those guys are role players for you. Like you're not bending your system and how things flow functionally to accommodate those two. You find ways to make those two complement your stars and what already works. And the Cavs kind of already have that luxury because they have three, four stars on their team and a bunch of high-quality dudes that they surrounded them with. I think that's good. <laughs> I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, I got to say it was all smiles. Um, and then I think uh, during – I was just going to say, I, I got the sense during Darius's availability with uh, with Carter and Justin that he he basically said it was just, you know, that's just kind of how those two operate. Uh, but before we head out of here, man, I just wanted to ask, did you get to speak to anybody that we didn't get to hear to uh, hear from yesterday, like uh, Monty Bates or Isaac Okoro, anybody like that? So I was – unable to hear from Isaac Okoro. I spoke with Amani Bates back um, when he was first drafted by the Cavs. I've touched with him every now and then, just like when he's doing stuff with the charge too. And he, the, the G League guys, quote-unquote, are the two-way two guys in the uh, con, the training camp invites. They got their photos done like right away. They kind of went through their circuits and bailed or maybe went to go shoot in one of the facilities the Cavs have at the arena. But I didn't really get to talk to many others. Um it was mostly just catching up with people I haven't seen in such a long time, um, whether it's within the Cavs organization or just like friends and colleagues and things like that, or even just like the security guards I say hey to all the time uh, when I'm walking like through the tunnels and stuff, just like to say, hey, how's your summer? How's your family? Things like that. But uh, like, yeah, today, Niang, um, I interacted with him for the first time. Like he's he's a goofy dude. Like I've interacted with Tristan in the past. It'll be good to hear from him again, even though Tristan was on the podium, uh, technically speaking, too. So uh, the luxury with training camp is with just the media availability the Cavs provide. Like, we'll he- the media will hear from everybody at some point or another, from like one through nineteen or twenty, however many faces they have on their training camp roster. So, everyone will have an opportunity to talk. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see like what some of the other guys are saying. Like, Okoro, uh, I'm curious to hear from. Like, what have you done differently this off season? Um, he said like stuff doesn't bug him at all, but like. He's he's in an interesting spot. Like I'm curious what he's thinking, or 
things like that. So yeah, I didn't hear much from others. It was mostly just like catching up. It's like the first day of school, kind of. Yeah, it really kind of seems that way. Man, I appreciate you for coming back on. You're always bringing some type of new information with you. Always. Uh, with that being said, you guys know how to reach out to us. You can. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you like to join the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to It's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and we'll send you an invite. That said, go Cavs.